Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. What the housekeeper saw, heard, and did, How Parents and Grandparents Behave When the Family Isn't Close, is the new book by Karen Williams, and I'm talking with Karen right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me all about this book? The title has me really interested. Well. It's about some seniors who are, and not always seniors, but close to it, that are retired, but have found out very quickly that as they left these great companies and all the phenomenal things that they did, they have become irrelevant. And because they have found out and know for sure that they are now irrelevant, their desires that have laid dead for you know decades come to the surface and they want to be frisky. They do things that are illegal, not nice, terrible, rude, (laughs) whatever. They're acting out and the kids don't really know it, don't see it. And they make sure that they, the seniors make sure that they don't know it. Hmm. A lot of the things they do are just really terrible. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and then how the idea to write this came about? Well, I lost my ranch in the big drop in the economy when everybody's house went down or ranch or whatever. And so I needed to go out and find work. I found that very hard at 65. However, it didn't bother me the fact that I thought I'm really good at house cleaning and I can do it and get paid on the same day and so forth, so on. So that's what happened. And it was great. So it just took off from there. Then you experienced all these crazy things and wrote them. Well, it became very clear, crystal clear, actually, that, you know, I would be sworn to secrecy within two or three, four weeks. Most of the homes that I cleaned were magnificent men and women that were successful, and they're very astute, and they wanted to play, and they also wanted to tell somebody something, Mm -hmm. and I became the target of that. Not asking, but, you know, Karen, can you keep a secret? Yeah, that type of thing. Just because you were there. So they, you know, they kind of thought of me as family way too quick and, wow. you know, over a red line that I didn't want. But they did. Oh, <laughs> so my gosh. Off it went. How long were you working on this? Ten years. Hmm. Ten, well, you know, I didn't, didn't think about writing a book for ten years. It was just making a very nice income. Hmm. And I loved it. They were very nice to me. They're happy to see me, and I'm happy to see them. So what happened is just easy to think about. They wanted to have fun. They wanted to do what they, for decades, didn't get to do because these people were uh, kind of the the landlords of commerce along the way, you know, CEOs and and the like. They were they were really disappointed that all the fame and and all the things people waiting in line to talk to them or get their advice or his advice or her advice it just dropped off the edge of the world and so that respect and everything kind of fell down so they began began to um, misbehave (laughs) (laughs) to put it lightly Mm -hmm. 
And there were no boundaries for them at some point. And especially finding that in this environment where they were, where a lot of other seniors were also able to discern quickly that they were irrelevant. So there was no camaraderie there. There was no compassion or anything or no pity parties allowed. So they just got at it. (laughs) (laughs) The name of Karen's book is What the Housekeeper Saw, Heard, and Did, How Parents and Grandparents Behave When the Family Isn't Close. Of course, written by Karen Williams. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere you shop for books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Karen, thanks again for stopping by the show here tonight. I had a nice time chatting. My pleasure. (laughs) It's not your ordinary prison book. It's called 25 Years of Hell. And the author, Curtis Brown, is sitting here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Curtis, thank you for being here with me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me all about 25 Years of Hell? 25 Years of Hell is a book I wrote. I was a correction officer for 28 years. I didn't have your ordinary, uh, I guess, uh, career as a correction officer. I worked in upstate prison here in Elmira, New York, where I ran into racial discrimination, harassment, and retaliation at the prison by uh, prison staff. Hmm. So I decided after I retired, I uh, wrote a book detailing my career. How long did it take you to write and then publish? Took me about, uh, I'd say, three years. Is this the first time you've done anything like this, or have you written or published before? Oh, no, this is the first time. Congratulations. Well, thank you. So what did it feel like after working on it for so long and having gone through all this? What was it like when you got that first physical copy in your hands? It felt like an accomplishment. You know, when you when when you set out and say you, you want to write a book, you know, it's one thing to say it and then to do it, you know. So it felt good to have it in your hand and to look at and, and to read. So it felt good. Did you have a target audience in mind when you wrote it? Yeah, actually, I did. Like I said, I worked for the prison, New York State prison system. The demographics, the correction officers and state employees and the general public, I, I wanted everybody to read it, you know, because it's a cry for change in the system. So surprising that after all the progress that we've made racially over the years, that this sort of thing is still going on. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that here it is 2021 and, and we're still dealing with issues like this. Mm. You know, you, you would think by now we'd be past, we'd be past this and, and moving on and Everybody trying to get along and, you know, and, and have a happy, have a happy life, you know, but it doesn't end up like that all the time. You know, you got, you got some people that, that just don't want to, they just don't want to do right. Now, having been your first book, gone through this for the first time, do you have advice for authors who are in the same position, haven't written yet, haven't published yet, but have a message that they think the world needs to hear? I could just say if you, if you have a message or something that you want to you know. You can write a book and, and tell your story. Let the world know, you know, about your life, about your story. It's quite an experience. Before my book was published, I always just thought, you know, you write a book, you write your uh, notes and re- write everything and send it in. And it's as simple as that. <laughs> no, it's not as simple as that. <laughs> it takes time, it, you know, editing. And it's hard work, but 
the end product, you know, in the end, it's all worth it. What would you say was the most challenging part about the whole process? Probably the editing, trying to, you know, get everything formatted and editing. Mm. Looking down the road, what are the chances of writing and publishing more? Well, depends on how, you know, uh, how this book goes. Uh, there might be a, a sequel to this book because I know that after 28 years, there's, there's, there's many stories to tell. <laughs> I'm sure. Curtis, while you were working on this book, while you were writing it, while you were going through the publishing process, were there people around you in your life who could offer inspiration or encouragement along the way? Oh, yeah. My wife. My wife, one of my biggest cheerleaders, you know. Mm. She's in my corner the whole time, you know, my career, 28 years. And when I retired, I used to listen to a radio station. It's on Sirius XM. It's called Urban View. And one of the people on there is a Joe Madison, the Black Eagle. And he always said, uh, what are you going to do about it? You know, when you got a problem, something going on, something happening, what are you going to do about it? You know, so that kind of got to me after listening to that a, a lot, you know, and hearing that. And I wanted to finish my book and that gave me some motivation. That was very motivating. Would you call yourself an avid reader? No, not really. <laughs> 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 when you do read, what's the kind of stuff that you get into? I like reading history. Mm. You know, I, I might read maybe three or four books a year. That's better than none, for sure. It's a lot more than a lot of people read. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, but writing a book is the last thing I ever thought I would do in my lifetime. Mm. So, Well, congratulations on writing this and getting it out there. It truly is a big accomplishment, and it is a very important message that people need to hear. It's called 25 Years of Hell, written by Curtis Brown, published by Fulton Books. You can buy it everywhere that you get your books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores, too. And Curtis, thank you again for joining me here tonight. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a roller coaster ride through the world of nursing and what it takes to fill this important calling. It's called Hey, Professor Quinn Advice and Experiences from a Sassy Nursing Instructor. It's written by Ann Quinn, BSN RN, and Ann is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Ann, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you tell me all about Hey, Professor Quinn? Sure. So I've been teaching nursing students for about six years now, and I've noticed that in post-conference, they always seem to ask me the same question. Each group asks me the same questions, and I make it a point to be more of a mentor to them as opposed to like a drill instructor. Mm. So I have a very good relationship with them, and I'm very open with them. And in doing that, they've opened up and asked more real life questions as opposed to textbook questions. Mm -hmm. And so I just started compiling those questions that they've asked and made a book into it. And so, for example, hey, Quinn, how do you deal with death? And so I would go into that chapter and talk about death and my experience with death and my advice about death and what they can expect about death and things like that. And so it's, oh, the whole book is like that. It's set up like that where it's questions and it's my advice to them with backed up with my experiences as a nurse. Hmm. How long were you working on this? It took me about two years. Hmm. 
And to be completely honest, if COVID didn't happen, I probably would still be working on it right now. Mm. But it was a blessing in disguise that we were shut down and I had nothing else to do. So it was like, well, might as well finish it. And so that's (laughs) what I did. Well, I'm glad you did. Is this the first time you've (laughs) written a book or have you done this kind of thing before? Nope, this is my very first time. Congratulations. How's it feel now you can call yourself a published author? Honestly, it's surreal. Like, I go to work and people are like, oh my God, you wrote a book? And I'm like, I know, right? I had, I'm just as shocked as you are that it actually happened. A lot of people say they're going to write a book someday, but most don't. And you've done it. So it's a huge accomplishment. What advice now would you give to authors that have a message to put out there? Take your time. I mean, you don't have to rush through it. I made a point to, if I wasn't feeling the chapter that day, I wasn't going to write it because I didn't want to just put anything on paper. I had to be feeling it. And so I waited until I felt inspired and then I would write. And then also you're going to hate it. I mean, you're, you're going to hate your book. I've read my book 200 times and I think that it's mediocre, but then there are people that read it and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. So just don't be too hard on yourself. Don't, you're going to be your, worst, your own worst critic. So looking down the road, what are the chances that you'll be writing more and publishing more? I've actually already started thinking about another one. I currently, I've left the ER. I'm actually the clinical manager of a clinic in Encinitas, California, where we work with PTSD patients hmm. and a lot of mental health stuff, some sports medicine. But the PTSD stuff is what I'm very passionate about. And so we do this procedure that basically knocks out that fight or flight. And I want to write a book about the experiences with the patients because it's so amazing to have someone who's struggled with PTSD, be it from military or being a first responder or a nurse or whatever it is, and have them like melt into that table and relax and give them peace. Hmm. It's what I was made to do, ultimately. Hmm. Thank you, Anne, for blessing so many people with your books. This one's called, Hey, Professor Quinn, Advice and Experiences from a Sassy Nursing Instructor, written by Anne Quinn, BSN-RN, and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you shop for your reading material, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Anne, thanks again for stopping by the show. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Thank you. Hatred cannot defeat hatred. That's at the center of the book we're talking about now. It's titled, Hope Leads from Earth to Heaven. The author, Keith Austin, is joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having me. Could you tell me what Hope Leads from Earth to Heaven is all about? Basically, I wrote it because people need to understand that Death is the last chapter of time, but the first chapter of eternity. And all my life, I believed on trying to live the best life I can and walk as wisely as I can and understand that Christ's last words were, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I just thought it was time to enlighten younger African-Americans. And the book was based on the traps that we set for ourselves and always trying to blame others for our misfortunes, which is a joke and always has been. And I had to find that out the hard way myself. Is this the first book you've written, or have you done this kind of thing before? No, it's the first. 
Well, congratulations on getting it out there. It's quite a big accomplishment. How long were you working on it? Well, like I say, I worked on it for years because what happened is I was a bastard child myself. And I really do think it's a shame how, just for me, I believe America promotes the single-family household a little bit too much in the African-American race. And I believe deep in my heart that that's the major problem with our children. You know, too many of them go to bed at night without hearing their father's voice. Too many of us put them in the middle of our breakups and our divorces. I mean, it happened to me. I didn't meet my brothers and sisters until I was well in my adulthood. And my father's wife told me she's never going to do it because she had a problem with my mother. And it took her death for God to speak to me and say, now you can meet them. And that's the way it happened. And it's just so many problems that children have to face being bastards. And I guess that's why I use that chapter first. And my mother made me change it because I tried to guess it would happen to her in her life. And, you know, I don't know if I touched the seed and I know she's resting in peace right now, but I changed it because it could be changed. And I still got the same message across that it's a lot of problems with children being bastards. It's a lot of problems with them being able to get this educational thing because they got so much other things they're facing, and it's hard to focus on education. And if they don't get it in those first three years, then nine times out of ten, they're going to be lost because education becomes more independent from the fourth grade on. And it happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I asked God why he allowed these sort of things to happen when I got locked up. And that soft, still voice told me when I asked him why he doesn't do anything about it. And he, just for me, he said, I did do something. I born you. You know what it's like. So why don't you just write a book about the traps that we were facing today? And if they continue at this warp speed, we are going to be in some serious trouble. Mm. That's why I want to respectfully ask Tyler Perry, Oprah Winfrey, some of our black athletes to help put that book in the prison system and turn some of these children around because it's just so sad that what's happening and it's not getting any better. Hmm. Did you have a certain kind of reader in mind, like a target audience whenever you wrote it? Yes. I have an organization called Dads and Lads of Greater Cleveland. And we have been allowed to go into some K to eighth grade schools and speak to the sixth, seventh and eighth grade children. Hmm. I've had a chance to work in the foster grandfather and grandmother program where I went in and um, um, tutored children. And they don't have to be like us. Mm. They're going to have to be the ones to turn this evil cycle around. They're going to have to believe in what God said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8 through 12, that two are greater than one. Mm. And then God said this, not me. If one was greater than two, he would have never thought to himself that Adam needed a helpmate. And that's why he created Eve. But today it's just like chivalry has just been destroyed. Mm. And to me, it started with that movie that never should have been even allowed to be made, that waiting to exhale. And that's why I named that chapter, Don't Wait Much Longer to Exhale, because a lot of us are missing out, men and women. And I just don't want 
people to think I'm stepping on women because my mother was a single parent. Mm. And she did the best she could with the cards she was dealt, just like a whole lot of women are today. And men, this where the book was based on, men just stepping up and being the fathers that God intended us to be. And we can't do that until we reach these kids. That's why I started Dads and Lads. Because all this killing and these murders, and it's ridiculous. And no one seems to step up, I guess, the way I feel they should. Mm. It's called Hope Leads from Earth to Heaven. Of course, written by Keith Austin, it's published by Fulton Books. You can buy this everywhere that you shop for your reading material. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Keith, thank you again for joining me here tonight. I had a really nice time talking with you. Thank you very much. Messages from God's Humble Servant, Book 3, is the next in the series from author David W. Crump, and he's sitting here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for joining me tonight, David. It's a pleasure to be here. For those of us not familiar with the series so far, can you kind of give us a recap on Books 1 and 2, and then how Book 3 plays into things? Well, Book three is just the third in the series, and they all are of the same theme. They're a collection of thoughts utilizing simple, everyday situations and ideas that we could all pretty much relate to. And what the books are designed to do, they're not designed to solve your problems, but they're to get you to think and to look in the mirror and say, am I doing this? Maybe I should stop doing this, and maybe I should start doing that. They're designed to make you think about where you're going, what trail you're following, who you're listening to, and how you can get yourself back on track. So what originally gave you the idea to publish all of this? Well, I started just writing the messages, and when I would get something that I thought was good, I'd send it to a friend of mine and to get their opinion, and did they think it made sense, and was it biblically correct? And all I got was, yeah, yeah, good, it's good, you should keep going. And someone said, you should put these in a book, and the rest is history. Or I should say, his story. How long does it take you to put one of these out? Well, God doesn't work on our schedule, he works on his schedule. Mm. And so nothing was coming out, you know, like every day or at the same time every week. So whenever I would get an idea, whenever he dropped that seed in my mind and say, write this and put some flesh on these bones for me. So it takes about, oh, I'd say roughly a year to get enough messages to actually say, I think this is enough to put in a book. Mm. This is book three. Do you have plans for more after this? I've already started compiling messages for book four. Mm. At first, I, I was like, but you know, is this a book, really? But I was given the idea, and I tried it, and it worked out well. And I thought, okay, that's that. But then I had messages for a second book. And so now I'm thinking, well, it's going to be a series. Well, a series is not two, and three is only three. So I don't know how many. I'll be <laughs> writing books until I can't write anymore. Oh, that's fantastic. What advice can you give now to aspiring authors, maybe for people who have a message they want to put out there to the world, but maybe don't have the confidence to go forward with it? Well, a friend of mine asked me one time, how do you start writing? How do you write a book? What do you do? And I told him, I says, well, 
make a lot of notes. Whenever you get an idea or something crosses your mind that you think would be helpful or people could latch on to, make a lot of notes. And then after some time goes by, go back and look at those notes and see what you can do with them. I think everyone has a story inside them. Mm. Everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has something they can share. And you never know when you may give them one line that may stick in their heads and make them say, well, wait a minute, I think I need to turn around. And so I would tell anybody, make a lot of notes and look them over, see what you can do with them. Everyone, I think, has a story to tell. What kinds of thoughts or feelings were going through you whenever you get your first physical copy of your book in your hands? Well, I'll tell you, when I got the first one, book one, when I got the first copy, I'm not going to be shy about it. I was brought to tears. Mm. I cried. I was so happy and so excited. And it just, it meant so much to me. And whenever I think about it now, I always think about how my mother would have been so excited and so proud to see her little boy come out with something that could help people, something, you know, spiritual, biblical. And it, I just think about uh, how proud my, my parents would be. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect of being a published author and getting your message out there? Well, I think in the case of books like these, the most rewarding thing to me relates to one of the messages in the book. It's called, I Rejoice in the Choice. God chose me to put these messages out. He could have chose anyone. He's got a pool of, uh, I don't know how many billions of people he could pick (laughs) to use, but he chose to use this for me. And I was just excited, and I felt very good about the fact that he gave me something to do. Instead of me always asking, Lord, do this, Lord, do that for me, he gave me something to do. And so I rejoice in the choice. I say in the message, I was blessed with the ability to use words skillfully. And so I think I'll take the gift that he gave me and use it to glorify him. You mentioned making your mother proud with your writing. Have there been other people in your life who have been inspirational to you? Oh, sure. I mean, I've got everybody has that favorite uncle and favorite aunt. And I've got a big brother that I've always looked up to. And, you know, when I sit back and talk to them, I can always think of something here and there that I learned from them Mm. that I can incorporate, that I can use. So I think I'm kind of a product of everybody who helped raise me. The book is called Messages from God's Humble Servant, Book 3. It's written by David W. Crump and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you shop for books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, David, thank you again for stopping by the show. I had a really nice time talking with you. It was a pleasure to be here, and I hope you call me back so we can talk about book four. The Face of Jesus is the new book by R. Nelson Prickrell, and Nelson is joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Nelson, thank you for being here with me tonight. It's very good to be here. Thank you. Can you tell me all about what you've written in The Face of Jesus? Well, as I sought the Lord, and I prayed and I fasted until I saw the cloud of the Lord. And later, I fasted and prayed again until the lightning struck, and God said, Now. Then I saw the face of Jesus. And the ideas of this book came out from that in a great stream of last approximately two years. And it's, it all built around 
how the face of Jesus is the key to the marriage parallel of Christ in the church. Hmm. Now, when you were writing this, did you have a target audience in mind? No, but it is very germane to everything and everybody. For example, I could discuss it from the point of view of helping teenagers or confused people who are confused about the gospel and show them, for example, that science is not anti-God or anti-Bible or secular, but it is a distinct and precise witness to the very things that are explained in the Bible. Also, there are many other things that can be said about how it will answer questions dealing with atomic weapons and one world government and the economy and so forth. And so every facet of information and questions and human involvement is woven into the face of Jesus. How long were you working on this? How long did it take you to write and then go through the publishing process? Well, from the time I fasted and saw the cloud of the Lord until I got most of the idea, or all the main ideas, was about eight or ten years. And then it was about another two years for the writing of it. Is this the first time you've written or published? Yes. Oh, congratulations. It's certainly a big deal. Would you have advice, then, for aspiring authors now? Well, the main thing I found is to keep on track with what God says and be faithful to what He says. Hmm. It won't be the easiest way, but it will be the most productive. God told me when I was a young boy, when I was going to commit suicide when I was 11, hmm. and God stopped me, and He said, I will shake the earth. You will go through the impossible. That's all I have for you. Hmm. And I'm saying that to say this, anything truly worthwhile, worth going after, and worth sacrificing for is going to have perhaps almost insurmountable difficulties. So don't get discouraged. Now, thinking over all your life and everything that you've accomplished in your life, would you consider the publication of this book among one of your finest accomplishments? Yes, and and it's only because I realized enough of the truth of the Word of God and kept faithful to it that I saw it piece by piece unfold. What would you say was the most rewarding aspect of publishing? Well, I believe and hope that it will be for many people that are that could get saved. That was my whole goal mm. for doing so. And fast and praying like I did until I saw the face of Jesus. So to me, that question is yet future. That's my hopes. Hmm. The name of the book is The Face of Jesus, written by R. Nelson Prickrell and published by Covenant Books. You can find this everywhere that you shop for your books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Nelson, thank you again for joining me here on the show tonight. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Thank you, Corey. I'm very happy to be sitting down right now with author Cheryl Sharanian here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. Thank you for joining me tonight. Hi, thank you. You've written a new book. It's called The Zen of the Cat. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, it's a um, short children's story 
about Zen philosophy and cats. It's something I've always been interested in, Zen philosophy, and I, I'm a lover of cats. So I combined it into one book for children. A cat goes on a journey to find Zen, and the cat eventually finds it. That's basically it. It's the short story. Did you have an age range of children in mind? Yeah, I'd say about four and up, four years old and up. Yeah, it, it's for really young kids or even adults. Hmm. And how long did the whole process take you? Creating the book took me about six months, but to publish it, it took about a year. After all that time, then, when you got that first copy in your hands, what sorts of feelings or thoughts were going through you? I felt really good about it. I um, wanted to uh, get it in the uh, stores and, you know, Barnes & Noble and Amazon Kindle and all that. Then you can get into the Kindle store search box and type Cheryl space Turanian, and it'll bring up all my children's books and my adult graphic novels that I've done. There's about seven books on there now. I was just going to ask about your writing background. Sounds like you've done this a lot before. Yeah, I have. I'm self-taught. I I never took a course in writing. Wow. So uh, I just do it on my own. Is this kind of a lifelong thing then for you? Yes, it is. It's what I'm doing now. I did go to CalArts, too, and the Chicago Institute of the Arts. Hmm. That's my background. But I, I never took a class in writing. I've read books about writing. I've read books like Stephen King wrote a book about On Writing is a fantastic book, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any words of advice now for aspiring authors? Remember, a story has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And once you find that out, everything's easy. (laughs) (laughs) Everything works out just great after you figure that out. Mm. So that's my best advice. So I suspect that you have more in you, that you have more books you're working on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm I'm always working on a book. Now I'm working on one called The Ant and the Android. It's a graphic novel for adults. And I'm also working on at the same time a children's book called The Unicorn Horn. I'm always busy and I'm always doing something. Were there people in your life who know what you're taking on and can offer you support or motivation along the way? Yeah, I'd say my father, he reads all my stories. Mm. He proofreads them for me, and it's really great having him do that. It's always good to have another pair of eyes looking at your story. Absolutely. Yeah, he helps me out with that. Now, you seem to be quite prolific. Do you ever go through writer's block? No, I don't. I'm afraid to say it. (laughs) It doesn't seem like you do have that problem. (laughs) I don't want to be jinxed, but no, I don't have that problem. What would you say the secret is to keep the ideas going? Because it seems like you have no shortage. I think just about anything you can get an idea from, a sentence in a book, a song you hear on the radio, just about any little thing that you really like or you find interesting, and then you just expand on that Hmm. is what what I try and do. Fantastic. Well, Cheryl's book is called The Zen of the Cat. Of course, written by Cheryl Sheranian and published by Fulton Books. You can find this everywhere that you shop for books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores, too. Well, Cheryl, thank you again for joining me here tonight. I had a really nice time talking with you. I had a nice time talking with you, too. Thank you. 
there's a wonderful new children's book out in stores titled Faith. And right now, I get to talk to the author, Sandra Jackson Hines. She's here with me now. Sandra, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me what you've written about here in your book, Faith? Well, this book is actually a true story. It's about myself. It's something that happened to me as an adult, but I made it into a children's book. And as the story goes on, it's a little girl named Faith. And she basically goes through everyday things, going to school, spending time with her family. And she sees these numbers that are just everywhere. And she realizes that God is trying to tell her something, and she wants to know what it means. Hmm. Did you have a certain age range of children in mind when you wrote this? You know, it is a children's book. It's a picture book. But anyone that reads it, whether they're an adult or a child, they're going to get a message out of it. Hmm. What does your writing background look like? Is this the first time you've published? This is the first time I've published, oh, and I'm, I'm just so excited about it because when Christian Faith Publishing, um, when they called me and said that they were accepting my book after reviewing the manuscript, I was just so excited, mm. so overjoyed about it. And you said this is a picture book. What was it like working with an illustrator? It was great because in the book, um, you'll see Faith on the cover with like a bunch of numbers all around her. And the illustrator just did a fantastic job because they put everything into their artwork as I explained it. Mm. And that's why when I first received the book, I was just amazed at how much they just got it right. I mean, it was it's awesome. Mm. Now that you've been through this publishing thing for the first time, do you have advice that you could give to aspiring authors? The advice that I would give is, you know, if you have a story to tell, I would say go for it. Hmm. I mean, anything that God gives you, it's going to be a plus. It's not going to be a negative. It's going to be awesome. Hmm. So when someone writes a book, I would say pray about it go for it. And you got to just hand it over to the Lord and it'll come to pass. Hmm, that's great advice. So now looking down the road, do you plan on maybe writing some more? I do. Mm. I, I have a second book coming out soon, probably in two months. It's called Samaritan Sam Sees Something. Hmm. I'm just hoping that it's, it's a success, just like faith. Well, Sandra, thank you for reaching out to children, teaching them these important truths. Sandra's book is called Faith. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing and, of course, written by Sandra Jackson Hines. You can find this everywhere that you get your books, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. well. Sandra, thanks again for joining me here tonight. Thank you for writing this great book. I really enjoyed our time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a personal journey of love and growth. It's in the new book by L.L. Araya Smith, titled The Evolution of Love and Relationships, Teenage Love, Marriage, Separation, Divorce. I'm really happy that Araya is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Araya, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me. Hi, Corey. Thank you so much for welcoming me to your show. I appreciate it. It is my pleasure to have you here. Could you tell me about your book? 
Sure. So my book is basically having to do with the evolution of just love and relationships overall, the cycle of where it can start from when you're, you know, in my life personally to be 14 all the way up until, you know, almost 40 of age, that there's ups and downs and, you know, joy and pain in any relationship. So it's just to explore the avenues of all of that and that it's very relatable in any age group as far as what you can experience being in a relationship, whether it's romantic or even with friends. So it's just an overall scope of just relationships in general. Such a personal story. What gave you the idea or the inspiration to write this and release it to the world? Well, going through my own personal journey as well, that's really what inspired the book. It was a way for me to release my pain and to kind of reflect on my experiences in the relationship as a whole from being a teenager up until my adulthood and being able to see for me having to think that, you know, relationships are so perfect and, you know, that you get involved with a person that you would be with them forever until you, you know, to death do us part. That's kind of how we are believed and thought that when you get in a relationship with someone that that will be the only person that you're going to be with for the rest of your life. And to learn that that's not the case, that it's a lot more trials and tribulations that probably was not shown to us as kids. You know, I'm a Disney girl, so <laughs> I always believed that it was always fairy tales. There were no pain. There was no ups and downs. It was just little Barbie car and driving off into the sunset. You know, that, <laughs> that's kind of what I grew up believing. Mm. So it was just a rude awakening for me. And a lot of my emotions is usually how I would just write down on paper, like having a diary. Mm. That was always kind of how I expressed my feelings. And, you know, even as a kid, I wanted to be a writer. But for this to actually come to fruition, being an adult, I did not prepare or plan for this. It just was, again, my way of releasing my thoughts and my feelings on a paper in poetic form. Hmm. So this is your first book then? Yes, sir. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so this is taken from years and years of your life, but how long did it take you to actually write the book? I would say it took about six months to a year hmm. because I've already had a calculate. I mean, I already had a bunch of poems from all the way up into when, when it's titled as teenage, married, separation and divorce. These are literally poems that I've had in there from when I was a teenager to you know, being in a relationship mm. up into my adulthood of writing more current poems. So everything is truth and a reflection and just me being vulnerable on every page. And I basically put my heart into that book. So even for each poem that I was able to go back and reread, that it's almost like a slideshow in my head because I know what inspired each of those poems. So it's, it's literally like a movie playing. Like per poem, it's like a scene in my head. Mm. The name of the book is the Evolution of Love and Relationships, Teenage Love, Marriage, Separation, Divorce. Written by L.L. Araya Smith and published by Fulton Books. You can get this everywhere that you shop for your books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Araya, thank you again for joining me here on the show tonight. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Thank you so much, Corey. It was a pleasure speaking with you as well. Constitutional Correctness Trumps Political Correctness is the new book in stores now by John Sauer. I'm really happy that John is joining me here tonight at the Reader House Author Roundtable. John, thank you for being here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Can you tell me all about your book? 
Well, this book is about the ongoing destruction of the United States with socialist ideas and strategies. It presents examples of attacks on conservatives and applies critical thinking to turn the attacks on the socialists and help restore the self-confidence of the conservatives. This book also makes note of the fact that the United States has surpassed the lifespan of the historical republics. It states two suggested changes to the Constitution that could extend the life of the Democratic Republic of the United States another 500 years. Who are your target readers, and why do you think that they'd be into this book? Well, my target readers are freedom-loving Americans who want to return the United States to the long-held position as leader of the free world and the shining light on top of the hill. I chose Constitutional Correctness Trump's Political Correctness as a title because I knew there was something wrong with political correctness when I first heard the definition some 35 years ago. Finally, in 2011, looking at a possible second presidential term of Barack Obama, I thought of constitutional correctness and settled in my mind as a counter to political correctness. The title Constitutional Correctness Trump's Political Correctness seemed to be an appropriate title in 2017 when I started writing this book. Is there anything in particular that persuaded you or inspired you to write it? Yes. President Trump was being vilified by the Socialist Democrats. I decided I needed to support him and the United States in the best way that I knew was to print my thoughts in a book so that they could not be manipulated electronically. Is this the first time you've written, or have you been published before? Uh, yes, this is my first published work. Well, congratulations on that. How long did it take you to work on? I have been working on the material for this book since 2010. I've been doing candid research and decided since I had a lot of work, or put a lot of work into the research, it would be a shame to keep it to myself and throw it away after the general election. So I created a website to display my work for anyone who wanted to use it. I felt strongly about something that I saw going on in the United States, so I decided to add a blog tab and write my thoughts as items in the blog. In 2017, I decided to combine my thoughts into a book in support of President Donald Trump since he and I seem to share the same level of love for the United States. It took about four years to get through the self-publishing process to complete the steps to release the book to the retailers. And how have the things that you've experienced in your life played into the writing of this book? And my mother and father told me that during the Second World War, we were living in the Croatian section of Yugoslavia. When the Russians broke through the German lines into our country, they gathered all families with German last names into cattle cars and shipped them into a concentration camp in kind of Strangbrook, Austria. As they unloaded the cattle cars, a Russian officer directed the prisoners either to the work camp or to the shower, depending on their apparent fitness to work. My mother was pregnant with me and may have uh, looked distended and not fit to work. So she was directed to the showers. A female officer was observing the process and interrupted the officer, saying she wanted to work. She wanted to speak to my mother. After a few minutes, the female officer returned my mother and told the officers that my mother was pregnant and not distended. My mother was directed to the work camp. My mother told me she had twins that were two years older than me, and they had both died in the camp. When the first one got sick, my mother let her go to the infirmary. She later learned that the nurse treating her injected gasoline in her veins and killed her. The Russians needed the medicines for the frontline forces and weren't going to ride waste time on our prisoners. The second twin died in my mother's arms. This was a humane way to go compared to the Russian technique. This was my introduction to the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, a communist country. 
Some months later, the war ended. The American military came to the concentration camp, opened the gates, and told us to go home. This is my introduction to the United States of America. Hmm. So what would you say is the most rewarding part about publishing? I experienced a sense of accomplishment, and I anticipate this book to cover the costs I incurred in publishing this book. What sort of feeling did you get when you received your first physical copy of the book? I was anxious to get to the distribution of the book. It was doing no good here in my hand. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Well, you should write about topics that have your interests if you want to write interesting books. Is there a person in your life that has been extra inspirational or encouraging to you? It would be President Trump. We Americans are in a war for our country, and President Trump is our generation's General George Washington. Now, looking down the road, do you plan on writing, publishing more books? No, I have uh, three other books in mind. I haven't got titles for them yet, but I, I know what topics I want to write on. And now looking at publishing your first work, would you consider this then one of the finest accomplishments in your life? Well, I've had a successful career in mainframe design and programming. I'm retired now, and I consider this but the most important work of my life. Since the education of America was interrupted or usurped by the federal government in 1974, quality of education has deteriorated dramatically and has put the future of the United States in jeopardy. I hope to help reverse this. The name of the book is Constitutional Correctness Trumps Political Correctness. It's written by John Sauer and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you shop for your books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. And John, thank you again for joining me here tonight. I had a nice time talking. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 